Well, hi there. It's Rick Madison, Rick and Friends, and uh, we have a fellow here that is known actually throughout the valley, throughout BC. He's uh, he's one of those dog whispers, and he's got uh, a huge following. And we were so lucky to have him on this morning. So, welcome to the big show, Wayne Dorman. Thank you. Nice to see you. So, so Wayne, you know, I I've had uh, various dogs with you over the years, and I, I was struck the one time I first met you. I thought, who is this guy? Because I phoned you, and uh, you said, yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know if I'll, uh, I'll take on you and your dog, but I, I want to meet you first. And we, we met in, in a trailer and I was like, what is going on? And you asked me a bunch of questions. You said, you know, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? And I felt, I thought I was just getting my dog in for some training, but you were interviewing me as well. And I thought that was really interesting. So do you still carry on that that kind of vetting process when you have a, a new client or something? Yeah, we, we, uh, basically we've come a long way since the days of the trailer, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we still, we still, um, screen all the clients. We've actually make it because of the changes in society since you, you were with me 15 years ago, we've actually had to in, increase the screening process. And no fault of yours or mine, it's just the way society's gone. But right now, it's even probably more difficult for people to get in. Uh, and the reason for is insurance companies, and we can get into that later, but we don't, we're not the adjusters, we don't write the insurance policies. And um, we have to be very careful how we bring in dogs into our system and also for people to be comfortable when they're working with us and their dogs too. So the other the vetting situation is actually more intense. <laughs> so that's so let's talk a bit about um, what got you into this because you you're clearly very good at it. Um, what when did it kind of a light bulb go on that this is something I should probably be be doing as a business. Okay. Um, well, my background is actually hotel management. So I was raised in the hospitality industry since I was a, since I was in diapers, restaurants, fish markets, fishing boats. So that's because of my dad's background. And uh, I um, went to hotel school in Switzerland and I studied there in Montreux. And so my I was actually I came to Canada in, in the hotel industry working for the Joe Fortes for the Western Hotel Chains Marriott. And then in 2001, I was in uh, two vehicle accidents. I was rear-ended by a Grey Line tourist bus on its way to when I was driving up to Whistler. And then I was rear-ended again nine months later by somebody who was on his way to a funeral. So I caught the uh, Kennedy curse. So I was actually ended up on disability for 22 months. And this, in 2002, Caesar Milan wrote his first book, Caesar's Way. Um, I was, because of that, because I, I had an English beagle at the time called Kingsley. And because uh, of the car accidents, I had a very hard time walking him. So ICBC was uh, afforded me the care that I could get for him of dog walkers and getting training for him. Because when you're on disability for 22 months, which I ended up with, um, it was hard to meet his needs mm -hmm. and during that period he actually because i lived in Kitsilino and uh just before i came to Kelowna, uh, it was very hard to um 
get control of him. And I didn't, I knew about Beagle, but he had a nose attached to his body. And when you have a Beagle, then actually the number one lost and found dog in North America. And people don't understand that because they are independent in a way they love to track. So he'll be like one day on Kisilano Beach at the nightclub, the dog park, which I, because it was an open area like we did in South Africa, we took our dogs always to the beaches in South Africa. But in Africa, they stay with you, most of the dogs that are trained. With Kingsley, you'll be on Kitsilano Beach and then you'll be in Spanish banks. <laughs> so I went to two trainers and uh, I asked them for help to help train him. And their answers were he wasn't trainable. Or they just didn't understand the philosophy or the background or what how I could meet his needs. Right. So I, after Caesar wrote, wrote his first book, I, I was on disability. I decided, you know, it's quite interesting to see... I, I don't like to fail at things, you know. If I if I have always been taught one more round, so <laughs> I don't know. I'm not a quitter, and I will try my hardest. And uh, long story cut short, I started to study animal behavior, animal psychology. I went to schools. I took the time instead of just lying on the couch and watching. Well, we didn't have Netflix in those days, <laughs> and I learned as much as I could. And um, fast forward, he, Kingsley actually, who they said he would never make it, lived to almost 20 years old. Wow. He passed away two years ago. And my other beagle, Mia, she lived to almost 18. She passed away two years ago. So the whole thing, what got me into this career, was um, being told he would be a failure, which is not right. And I started to study the need of the breed. And also, I just, because of the way I was raised, I, you know, I found my leash in life. <laughs> my life went to the dogs. Now, I I was just talking to uh, to someone. Uh, her name Jackie Shea, who you know, <laughs> and uh, she said, "Geez, Wayne, Wayne didn't even really spend much time with my dog. But 15 seconds, you know, the dog was listening to commands and everything else. Like, there seems to be a little bit of an intrinsic." Uh, talent that you seem to have and and i don't know if that came you know where you just your passion met your talent or or how that worked but it seemed like they followed in accordance with each other my dog is the same way like as soon as he hears your voice he's he seems to instantly respond so is like other people want that (laughs) to be that kind of dog owner and and is that just curated over the years or or how did that happen yeah it's you know Dog training is like being a farmer or being a cultivator of a wine farm. The more you grow the vines, the more you learn about them, the more you learn the soil, the more you understand it. And same with dogs. But the, the principles are still the same, that calm energy. Funny, you talk about Jackie Shea because I heard that. I just heard yesterday from one of my staff that you know her. And I, I normally don't always drop names. But, you know, I was straight up with her. And she actually wrote to us, I heard, I, I don't get to see all the messages, that I was, I, I just was just the way it's going to have to be. Mm-hmm. And you, when you're dealing, when you're almost a 100-pound lady, which she is, dealing mm-hmm. with a 100-pound dog, it's a whole different ball game. Right. You know, the cuteness is not there. And also when she wasn't sure she was going to keep the dog. Mm-hmm. So when I met her dog two weeks ago and one of my staff members was with me helping, you know, the dog's excited all over the place. I just went in with that calm energy. And I didn't set the dog up for failure or for fakeness 
where all of a sudden where you get it so excited, worked up, and then all of a sudden you don't want that behavior. So it's, it's definitely experience. And um, the, more you, the more you learn, the more you handle, the more you work. But, you know, it doesn't just mean picking up a leash. It actually means getting down, working with the dog, um, learning everything from the medical side, from the cleaning of the dogs to the nails to – there's a whole process to get to that point. But also not just being an expert in because you read a couple of books and you've handled four or five dogs or you've got all your information from social media, which is – is that you have to actually handle thousands and thousands of dogs to, to be able to read dogs like Jackie's. Now, is there, speaking of, of owners, um, and, and, you know, again, I, um, I know you've, you've, you've met and seen uh, lots of dogs, but what are some mistakes that, that new dog owners make? Because, you know, you mentioned kind of, kind of a few that we all make. But is there is there an overriding, seemingly long list of, of stuff that new dog owners do with their dog? Because I mean, a lot of people listening to this are, are going, "Well, I'm a new dog owner," and and uh, you know maybe they're thinking about some fundamental rules that they should probably lay down now. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what breed it is of the dog. The principles is like raising a child. You're not going to leave a baby unattended to make decisions in, on its own where there's nobody there to watch. So the the hardest thing is everybody gets a puppy. They are, um, and we talk about this a lot in our classes, they, f- they love the dog from the moment they get it. They give it so much choices where it makes all these independent choices where it can go and be left independently outside. It can walk around the house on its own. And there's no, no direction. See, for me, I, I'm a firm believer when you, you get a puppy, you give it freedom on the leash. The puppy's with you. And just like with a baby or a child, you're always watching it. You're not allowing it to go into the cupboards alone. And we sometimes where a lot of people end up with problems is they allow the dogs so, so much space away from them where the dog's actually getting away, getting away, and then they're screaming and why is it not listening? Or they're using cookies every time to draw it back. But the problem is sometimes they don't have cookies to get the dog back. Um, so the the principles is um, just like getting a learner's license for a vehicle or, or novice or drivers is you've got to know, um, put rules in place. You know, the, we live in a society today where everybody thinks discipline's punishment or discipline's rudeness. Mm-hmm. Discipline is being on time, being punctuality, showing the dog consistency dogs have functioned thousands of years you know and uh, they've worked together i mean look at the wolves that are running around Kelowna right now there's a couple of wolves they're not leaving each other the mother taught them how to stay close the mother was there to show them what to do what not to do mm-hmm. and i guarantee you those dogs eventually as they get older they make their own decisions so it's a very um i think people give the puppies too much freedom in the beginning for me, my, my beagles or everything have always been close to me. Mm-hmm. My clients' dogs, we keep them so close to us and slowly we increase their distance from us until they mature enough. A puppy's not mature enough to make decisions on its own. And it seems to me like you you tend to, because um, I was watching uh, in, in advance of this show, I was talking, um, well, I was reading a book about Caesar Milan and then I was also watching his show. And he was talking about the pack mentality and, mm-hmm. and how 
um, owners, and, and again, going back to your comment about discipline, owners don't seem to acknowledge or I guess gravitate towards this pack mentality. And they, they almost want it to be like another small person, not a dog. And they don't have that. The, the dog doesn't seem to answer well to that where dogs shouldn't be on the same footing as a human, I guess was the other thing. And so is pack mentality part of your philosophy or like, is there, is there an alpha dog? Like, are you the alpha dog? I don't know. You know that the word alpha, um, believe it or not, in the pack mentality in the animal world, there's actually the female, the, which we use the word beta, not B-A-T-R-E. I mean, um, or, but we use the word B-T-A. It's a female that's taking control. The male just makes the final decisions. But I'm, I'm not a believe. I just believe in consistency and commitment. You know, the biggest thing when you talk about pack mentality putting 20 dogs together, 30 dogs together is just consistency and leadership. Now, one thing I've always tried to teach my clients is leadership, friendship, partnership, mothership, um, um, relationships. The last four letters is ship. Now, when a dog comes into my care, it's literally getting on the ship. Think of Titanic. Everybody got on the Titanic. <laughs> That's a horrible metaphor, but sure. I know. But... And everybody trusted the Titanic, but was there good leadership? What, the thing was there consistency and commitment, which leads to trust. So when we take on a dog, and it doesn't matter, you know, this alpha thing, whatever, the dog might listen to you in the moment, but when you transfer him to somebody else, that person might not have any leadership skills. So the thing is, consistency and commitment leads to trust. That's why you came back to me mm -hmm. i've always been consistent with you i've always shown when your dog's hobs was in my care I always try to show commitment and consistency which leads to trust which will lead to friendship partnership relationship mothership you can name it relationships don't last when there's in and there's inconsistency or and that so so the thing with the alpha and all that it's just keep showing the dogs what to do and it's called patience and persistence Mm -hmm. you, you, when the dog is, when the owner's on patient, the dog wins. Eh. Right. And, and you often talk, and I've heard you say this on, on different outings is, okay, well, not every day is going to be perfect. And, and you often talk about, you know, this is one of those off days for the dog and, and they're allowed to have those. And, and so it's interesting when I've been to your class and a dog is maybe acting out it, you, you get it to a, to a place where it's it's still good, like it's still a, a good environment, but they have different levels of, of good on, on that particular mm -hmm. day. And, and you're patient with that. And I think a lot of dog owners expect that, you know, every single day, every single time is consistent. And it's really not with a dog because they're, they're another organism, really. No, you know, I mean, like humans have good days and bad days, dogs too. Maybe the dog was fed too much. Maybe the dog has gone to the vet two days before. He's still sore from the vaccinations he took maybe it was at the groomer maybe something kept him awake the night before he had a bad dream so you know if there's if there's good days and bad days we see it all the time in the last week i could write a book on things that have happened to dogs where in where the owners left the dog in care of somebody else the dog was hiking with these people and the dog suddenly dropped 
he had a bad day. He could have got into something or he wasn't feeding well and they had to carry the dog back. Now for the next few days, this dog's whole temperament and disposition and everything's going to change. Um, so yeah, there's good days, just like sports people have good days and bad days. But you always have to go back. I say to every class, look at the positives and where, and the, the negatives. And, you know, if you walk in, if you can walk in a straight line every day, good for you. But it doesn't mean you're dark. <laughs> and, um, but there's a lot, there's a lot that goes in. You know, we, one of my, as you know, I have 12 employees, staff. They're all from different backgrounds. And they're all clients. So I think, you know, Dana. Mm -hmm. I have a psychologist as a client. Really? I have a human resource. And these people work for some of the biggest companies in North America. And they all come to me as clients. And, you know, I have a school teacher. I have students. I have a retiree. And they all bring some value to remind me to, to if, if I'm having a bad day. And, I, and it's amazing. Um, so where I go is one of my... One of my um, um, associates, Brett Richards, she's actually a psychologist, a counselor. And we compare dog training to like a, a bottle store, a liquor store, you know. And um, you go in there, there's lots of choices. It's like choosing a dog. Some people, you know, people want to get shooters or shots or drunk or whatever. When you walk into that bottle store, you, that bottle store can change your whole change your mind just from a couple of drinks some people don't know the limitations or they buy too much or that um but if you didn't have the principle you know sometimes people buy they they age a bit like dogs and they drive drive too much drink too much alcohol and they don't feel well on the next day younger people can um so i don't know if this is making sense but dog training is like going to a liquor store sometimes people walk in they there has to be rules when you walk in, there has to be limitations. But the biggest thing is uh, some, um, some people buy too much. They get stupid when they get home. Um, it's the same thing with the dogs right now is uh, sometimes like Christmas, people have these huge parties, the dogs jump in, getting presents. Christmas ends, people go back to reality. Now they've taught their dog a behavior. Now they don't understand why the dog all of a sudden is not is having a bad day. Well, two days before he was around a bunch of drunk people sort of waiting for Santa Claus to come. <laughs> yeah. So I hope that, I hope that makes yeah. sense. No, um, it does. Is, is there a breed that, um, or breeds, I guess, that are especially um, more difficult to work with? Because I mean, I've read the most intelligent dogs and, and the most intelligent means they, they fundamentally know what they can get away with. They, they know how to run things like, there's, um, I remember shepherds, blue healers. I mean, there's different dogs that have really uh, incredible intelligence. Does that make that harder as for a dog trainer to, to work with a really, I mean, lots of gray matter? Is that tougher? You know, it's, we, we have this thing called meet the need of the breed, especially during COVID. Everybody was getting border collies. <laughs> Everybody had to get border collies in Australia. People in there, all walks of life. And um, it made it very hard because some of the people didn't meet the need of the breed. Or some of the, there was a lot of overbreeding. Nothing wrong with the, the owners and their, their work ethics. Some of these dogs had, were like ticking time bombs. They had uh, overbred, which means that they were being sister, brother, everybody's breeding in. And uh, all of a sudden, this 
that we can um, we can name one dog that was coming from a certain breed as way out of not in Kelowna. Mm-hmm. They were literally every dog was literally ready to kill any other dog. It had nothing to do with the training, the owners. They'd been to also other trainers. These dogs had um, certain things going on. Their testosterone levels, their breeding things, their systems, and they were hard to to train. Um, but at the end of the day, no dog is hard to train if if they're a good fit to the family. You know, and that's always been the hard thing. A lot of people choose a dog because they love the looks. It's like a relationship, pretty handsome, yeah. Yeah. until you get to meet the thing inside. <laughs> but that's been, I, I don't find any dog, if you, if you meet the needs, sometimes people overtrain their dogs or they're doing too many sports with their dogs and the dog can't even learn, before he's learned, it's like a child that is doing 10 different types of sports a week. How did he get better at the one sport when he's been taught something else? Right. And um, so the any breed, you know, it's a very um, political kind of thing because you, you you favor one breed, somebody goes that. But as I said at the beginning of this conversation, we don't make the rules when it comes to liabilities. Touch wood, we, and I'll touch wood on this because superstitious in this one. <laughs> My insurance... And I've never had to put a claim in in the last 16 years. Has in some four years has literally gone up four five hundred percent because of negligence, bad ownership, mm-hmm. people using these nightclubs, overbreeding. So we many years ago, somebody that you might know called uh, owned a. I'm not going to drop her name, but she has hybrid wolves. Very good owner. Never had a problem with these dogs. The insurance company did not want to insure hybrid uh, wolves or pit bulls or that. And, and you know, if I can't get insurance to insure these dogs, I had to actually reword my, I had to bring in a, a lawyer. I had to reword for the adjuster my um, insurance to meet the needs of these dogs. Um, that's why we have strict policies where if you're going to bring me a certain dog, you're going to have to do my behavior classes. Um because the insurance companies are getting so tired of having to pay out and that. So where we go, this is a lot of people are taking certain breeds of dogs to these dogs that were bred to take pain. I'm going to use, say, the Argentinian Dogo. He's a fighting breed. Mm-hmm. He's literally like, like a runaway truck. When he gets into a fight, I mean, you can take a knife to some of these dogs. And they were bred to, to basically... To, to fight till the death. Now, when they get into fights in these dog parks or they're dominating, they're learning, number one, to fight. And number two, it's registered in their mind. Number three, it's very hard to break these dogs up. Mm-hmm. And people are, um, once again, why are the owners taking such dogs? That's not socialization. Socialization is, doesn't mean to force your dog to run up to strange dogs and jump all over them. So the once again, it's education. When you choose a breed, it doesn't matter how difficult it is to own the dog. What's difficult is to train the dog. It's interesting you you bring up um, dog parts and uh, dog parks and socialization because I had a chaos was a beautiful German Shepherd, and and he was not a great dog in a dog park. Like he, because a little dog would would come up to him and after a while it was just too stressful for me because he's a you know he was a 85 90 pound dog and a dog would 
would try to uh, assert dominance over him. And he had, he really wanted nothing to do with the dog. He just wanted the Kong. Like that's all he wanted to play with. But it seemed like dog parks are almost counterintuitive to what you think they are. <clears throat> they actually have this, you're right. It, it's like a free for all. And, and I think a lot of dog owners show up there thinking certain things are going to happen. And then something else happens. Like, are you, you're not an advocate, I would say, for a dog park. No, look, dog parks to me are like, and I've always, I, I, it's amazing how many people use the saying. I've always said for over 20 years, dog parks have, have always been like nightclubs. They're also like bottle stores for everybody. <laughs> Liquor stores, I should say. Sorry, South African. Uh, dog parks are nightclubs for dogs. You know, there's no bounces, no rules. You go to a dog park and you see, or even certain places that take 60, 70 dogs, you put eight or nine dominant dogs into a dog park. Mm. And you've got some person who's got a good dog. What's that dominant dog doing? He's looking to go dominate other dogs. And the owner's sitting there talking, not watching, and that dog's learning a behavior. Now he goes up to another dominant dog. Mm. And they two, they run, it's like, it's like going to a bar and all of a sudden somebody, two heavies are there. Mm-hmm. And too much alcohol, too much testosterone, guaranteed. And, that, and it goes down again to principles. And um, so dog parks have the dog, if, if people could read dogs with body language, all that. But, you know, socialization is um, like going to the airport. You socialize in at the airport, you're not jumping on everybody because you got taught at a young age. A lot of people don't teach these things. They force it onto the dogs. And uh, so, yeah, no, I, I get a lot of business from dog parks. Or I see good dogs going um, that were good. And they're very good at dog parks. All of a sudden, their testosterone levels are changing. They're intact. They become teenagers. They, you know, like boys and girls or whoever. And they want a bit more action. And they go up to the wrong dog. And then they get into an issue. So, um if you're going to use these places, know your dog and make sure you have a recall on your dog. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a recall on your dog and you're taking it to a dog park, you know, it's uh, it's like asking your kid to go to a bar or restaurant or club and he doesn't come home ever. <laughs> You've got to, you know, so. But it's interesting, though. I've, I've seen, I've been to your your place where there's a whole bunch of different breeds like we're talking big small short and tall and everything else in between and they all get along like there there there's no dogs that are like they they almost seem to follow uh, a symmetry like there's a there's nobody asserting dominance or anything mm-hmm. else and is that come back to that quiet confidence that you exude is that where that comes from yeah we <laughs> You, as I said, you know, with age and with experience, it's like, you know, you learn all the, the ins and outs. And I've seen it all. When um, I used to have my first center, yeah, I used to run a day. Sc- sometimes I use the word and daycare is day scare sometimes. Where, I mean, if there's no, um, if there's no structure and structure and foundation right from the day one, it's a gong show. You know, and it's education. So we don't promote wild behavior with the dogs, especially because we're going into satellite areas, GPS. And as you know, my hikes, like my days are long with the dogs. But we can't have a dog asserting itself. And they, we have some happy dogs. They, they, they love dogs. All of a sudden, you've got some pet dog that comes and starts pestering them because he's been taught. 
mm-hmm. and he and we just allow that, just like a school bully. It, uh, why should that dog that's enjoying himself be pestered by some dog that is not a good fit? So we've taught the dogs right from day one, and and we will the new dogs get kept on leash. Mm-hmm. And we slowly build their confidence on what's right or wrong. We have a dog right now. He's a um, German short-haired pointer. He was going to multiple places, 11 months old, in this, every dog's space and face, jumping on him. Cause, and his thing, you can see him in my videos now. He's basically calm. And the, the thing about this dog is he's intact. I'm not a big fan of certain... But the difference is the owner who's a doctor, believes in principles and is actually working hand in hand with us. He also, he, he listens to what we have, our advice, you know, um, but it's also why he's the right owner for this dog. And he also decided to get his dog out of a place or places where he was learning, learning to dominate other dogs. So we've tried to, it's hard work. I mean, we don't win with all our dogs. We sometimes have to let clients go because mm-hmm. their dogs are, they're not good fits. Just because you, you know, I, I, I used this uh, class the other night. I love helicopters. Uh, I, love, I love seeing planes. doesn't mean because I love them, I've got to go buy one and then learn to fly. Trust me, I have a fear of heights. <laughs> doesn't seem it. But some people get dogs because they love the look of the breed, the Akita, the Cane Corsa, the Pitbull, the Yorkshire Terrier, the Golden Retriever. They love the looks, but they they um, don't understand what goes in. They don't meet the need of that breed, or they put them in situations of over-socialization where they lose control. So we have to sometimes say, like with any business, and uh, and then people don't like that. You know, some people don't like being told, sorry, you know, it's just like a job. If you're not a good fit, you've got to look after all the interests of all the other dogs. Right. And uh, I recently posted a thing and of subject called the helicopter pet parent. One of the hardest things to deal with in this business where we, and we see this where the dog is, you know, the helicopter. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, well I, I, I saw an episode, I think it was on Cesar Milan, where they, they were putting booties on the dog uh, mm. to go outside and putting the dog in a stroller. And, and uh, basically the dog was stopped functioning being a dog and it was confused by that and i think whenever they placed it on the ground without the booties on uh the dog didn't know how to walk and, yeah. and it was just a like even from and again i'm not a dog trainer by any stretch but i was wow like this this dog yeah. is fundamentally confused yeah well and that's the thing sometimes we've we've humanized the dog and human we we're turning dogs into a human. Um, um, we're humanizing the pet industry so much that dogs are, we think dogs are human, but they're not. I've never seen people, well, there actually are some clips on YouTube of people thinking they're dogs. And people laugh at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you Google YouTube, uh, and actually I just had to think, you know, because a lot of people have these influencer pages of their dogs and their dogs on counters and opening doors and going through cupboards. And it looks fun for the likes. But if you see a human doing that, and, and it is, there's one guy who thinks he's a dog on YouTube. And he does. He thinks his thing. People laugh at that. Mm-hmm. And they laugh the way the dog's acting, dressed up, barking, all this. And I'm thinking, but people allow their dogs to do that too. 
it's uh, it's um, wrong. So yeah, the booties, all that. We have a dog in our care right now, who just came in. He was running around the garden, they, the owner's garden or something. He cuts his paws. He has to wear boots, and he's used to it. But they never did that. The stroller. So um, that we have another dog last week who somebody um, heard where the dog was hiking and caught his toenail or something on, a, on, a, on a, his paw on something and cracked the, the pad. He's wearing a boot. The boots have a place. And um, But yeah, I mean, I always say, would you do that to yourself just for the fun of it? No, I don't want my dog to be feel that because I have insecurities that they have to feel insecure just for the picture. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I hope that makes sense. But, you know, there's a reason to use the booties, the stroller. You know, we have clients, we had two clients, sadly, they lost their dogs right now. The dog was 17, 18. Uh, they use strollers. They had mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. Why should a seven-month-old dog be walking around in a stroller? I mean, I, I, I see people carrying their 80, 90-pound dogs in public. They carry them. Mm-hmm. It looks so odd, <laughs> you know, because they, they think the dog might get hip dysplasia for walking, well then shorter your walks. Yeah. Don't carry your dog because you're taking him to a level. But uh, it's it's just, as I say, sometimes for me it caught common sense. Mm-hmm. But it's hard because, I mean, we um, some people, um, the thing with it, separation anxiety is one of the hardest things to deal with in my, in my business. And it's not because the dog has separation. It's the owner that had separation to separate themselves from the dog. Right. You know, they that. I mean, it's that. And it all go leads down to training. I want to go back to that and uh, we'll take a quick break. But I want to talk about that separation anxiety because I I think that is a a big one that you have to tackle. Uh, We'll be back in in a bit with more Wayne Dorman. First, let's talk a bit about uh, sponsors. We have D6 Print Studio. Great printers. They'll do anything you want. They'll make a sign. They'll wrap your vehicle. They'll... uh, any any sign, any size, doesn't even matter, any size, okay? Actually challenge them. Say, I want to cover a building. Let's see if they can come up with that. Uh, next up is Pereira. They have engagement rings if you want. Uh, and you know what? They don't even just have engagement rings. They have other gifts as well. The best gift is unexpected. Try it. She'll fall down on the floor laughing and crying, I, I swear. And then the other one is colonanow.com. Uh, thanks to our good friends at colonanow.com. They're always searching for great news, and uh, it's up to the minute, 24 hours a day. Back in a bit with more Wayne Dorman. Okay, we're back with uh, Wayne Dorman from Dogsies. And uh, so we we were, we were left it off with separation anxiety, and I, I want to talk about this. And I also, like I'm jumping around, my head does that sometimes. But... Um, Separation anxiety would be really, really tough to, I guess, train, train out of that because that's an emotional bond, isn't it? Is that is that part and parcel with separation anxiety with a dog? Yeah, I mean, it's it's basically where the owner feels guilty, not the dog, or they, you know, and we see this a lot. We um, people take a dog at eight, ten weeks, sometimes earlier. They'll bring it home. They uh, have ripped it away from the dog's basically real mother. And they bring it home, and then the dog's whining, crying, and the owners will feel bad, put it in the bed, all this, or won't leave it. Won't even leave it when it's sleeping. 
they'll just stay with it. And then what happens, because the dog, as you, you spoke about pack mentality earlier, dogs are packs. Mm-hmm. They want to be with their owner or the owner will say to the dog, goodbye, have a good time by yourself. That good word, goodbye, we never use because the dog associates goodbye to leaving, mm. which causes separation. So you, uh, that w- when you have a baby, they cry to sleep, you leave the room and all that, and you build distance over time. But um, all what happens is the owner, and we see this a lot right now, people getting puppies. They're with the puppies for a month, every day, seven days a week. They take time off work. They never give the dog a time on its own. Then they want to go on vacation, so they leave them in a kennel. <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? And the dog, nobody's there to cut or nurture. So separation, you know, it's hard. You have to build it in. But, you know, when you do mental and physical exercise with your dog, mental stimulation, where you play games, when you play and train, where the dog's so tired and he falls asleep, and you um, basically, while he's, and you get him so tired that he falls asleep in his, his crate. Now there's this whole thing, crates are bad, crates are wrong. I love crates. It, crates, crates mean brain break. Mm-hmm. We have so many clients that argued with me that their dogs would never love crates. And I asked the clients, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Crocodile Dundee, where mm-hmm. he slept on a floor. <laughs> he can sleep anywhere. I can sleep anywhere. I don't mind sleeping on floors. But most people sleep in a bed with a door. They sleep in a big room, a crate. Your house is a crate. <laughs> you know, and there's walls. Yeah. Well, the crate is, it actually improves your training 90, 100%. Because you know where your dog is at all times. And you know, as, as long as it's not used as a punishment. Right. It's a discipline, a bed. When, when we send kids to the Montessori's or these building blocks, they're lying, they're, they're structure and rules. And when they're tired, Somebody's sitting in the chair watching them, but they're all sleeping. Um, so the separation anxiety is one of the hardest things to break because people do get on their li- on, on with their lives. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the dog is not uh, number one anymore or he's not too cute. And um, I always say, don't use the word goodbye. It's a, it's a negative. You know, use that for humans. Some people are like, goodbye, great. I don't need to see you again. <laughs> But dogs, especially a loving dog, love your dog, spoil your dog, but believe in, in, a, in principles and persistence and patience. And, and you know, the crate can be, a, 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 can be a, a, where you can feed your dog in it. You can let it play inside there. But you also have to be fair to the dog. Don't lock your dog up for 22 hours a day in the crate or use it as a punishment because you've got guests coming over. Dog goes in the crate because he doesn't know how to behave because the guests get the dog excited. Well, tell your guests to behave, number one, around the dog. And number two, put the dog on a leash and let him learn from those interactions. Mm-hmm. All my clients are told what's going to cause separation is locking your dog away when there's guests coming. Let the dog be like a service dog, tether him to you. And this technique's been around forever. So mm-hmm. it's not, it was taught to me, it's been around for 60, 70, hundreds of years. Let's talk a bit about the uh, the bed. So a lot of dog owners think, okay, this is a great connection time. I'm going to bed. I'm going to have the dog. And and some people have the dog sleep overnight, which I, I, I fundamentally, I'm not on that same page because I believe dogs move around at night. And I, 
it would just create a whole bunch of bad sleep habits for me. So is, is that part of like, do, do some of your clients sleep, you know, with the dog sleeps in the bed? You know, I was raised with dogs. You name it, I had it in South Africa. We were, as kids, my dad didn't allow the dogs to sleep on his bed, but uh, we were allowed to sleep with the dogs in the bed. But once again, they knew how to use a crate. They knew all that, so it was fine. And as they got older, but you know, a dog that, you know, a dog that doesn't listen to his owners, that jumps all over the couches, jumps all over the bed, the owner, he should be not being, he should be invited on the bed. Everything's by invitation. You know, in my career, and I remember a story in Nelson where the woman left the dog in the bedroom and nobody was allowed in the bedroom. She went on vacation and she had somebody come in and they phoned me, and this is Nelson, that they, because they didn't have SBC, they, they didn't have any rescues at the time. She wanted me to drive up to Nelson. She had a Kubas, and a Kubas is a guardian breed. And she wanted me to go into a house. I didn't know her to try to get the dog out of the bedroom because nobody could get into the house or get into the bedroom because she left it with a friend. And the dog was so territorial and protective over the the the, the, um, the bed. Anyway, I didn't drive up there. I just told her to phone the vet and get a, get a nice piece of steak. And, and they, they did and put a little happy pole inside there. And uh, they got the dog. Well, she came back eventually. But we, we get stories, and uh, I, I have all the emails over the years, thousands, where dog won't allow the husband and wife in the bedroom. Because when he's in the bedroom or she, it's it's bedroom. And, and most times when I say to the owners, does the dog get permission to go into your bedroom? No, he just goes freely. Mm. Everything's by invitation. So the bed ones are, you know, if, if you have a disability, a service dog, or you have certain things, it does help with people with trauma and kids and so but it, it, just like you like i don't know i i can't have a hundred pound huge pyrenees mountain dog sleeping underneath my covers you know but um and and i do get that there there's a therapeutic side of that that yeah. we we haven't touched on um go back to the exercise too because uh you know uh, my my lovely uh, wife Jen, she walks the dog twice mm-hmm. a day, and you know there's times when I really don't want to walk the dog, and because I'm I, I'd, I'd rather go sixty miles an hour in most days, but but it it's a fundamental part of a dog's existence, isn't it? Is that exercise because a, a tired dog is a, is an obedient dog, I think. Yeah. Well, anything mental and physical stimulation. So the. Um... I know you worked very long hours and, you know, when you had hobs, you used to come to my safaris. You remember my safari <laughs> yeah. days? Those are great days. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, talking about insurance, I had to get rid of that word. The insurance company, Canine Safaris, was too, um, they wouldn't allow me to use it anymore. Otherwise, mm. they wouldn't insure just because it was confusing, gave a wrong thing. Um, but the the mental, the, the exercise part is, number one, I, you come to all my classes, we put... We get order, mm-hmm. and we have some big classes. And people go, wow, all those dogs together. The dogs actually, it's almost like uh, dancing with the stars, dancing with the dogs. They get so used to the program, they behave. And um, so when you exercise, number one is always play train, using toy from, you know, um, um, play train where you mentally uh, play with the long line uh, if you can't get your dog real but getting them to play with their toys with you 
mm. not the dog plays with his own toys. But number two is when you've had a long day like yourself, sometimes just tethering the leash around your waist where you go, dog goes. This morning before I came for this interview, I mean, for the uh, thing, I already done four, 5,000 steps with one of the dogs. Really? Just from him being around my waist. And then I put him, because the girls came in to cover the dogs while I, yeah, um, I um, put him in his crate and uh, put a toy in there. Now the dog's playing with his toy in the crate and he'll fall asleep. Yeah. But I didn't take the dog and let him lie around the house looking to nothing. I kept him busy because I'm just like you. I, I have ants in my pants and uh, <laughs> yeah. I have to walk. And I don't want my dogs also not being, um, um, they need to do something. And especially if I'm busy, what's he going to do? So you just walk around and you'll be amazed. I mean, some days some of the dogs do, just remember dogs do five to six times or 10 times more steps than we do. So if I'm doing 30,000 steps a day, I guarantee you some of those dogs could be doing, you know, 150, 300,000 steps because they run, especially on my hikes. But if I'm just using the leash work and they're going backwards and forwards, it's, um, it, it works. But a lot of people don't, uh, they, they think a, a half an hour walk outside twice a day is sufficient for certain dogs. It's not. Or the dog spending time with your dog all day where he just lies around watching you is, um, sufficient it's not mm -hmm. so and and you you go to different places when you hike is that on like are you doing that mindfully because you want the dogs to see different scenery is that is that part mm -hmm. of the the reason why you do that yeah i mean I, you know it's um or number is that, one is that more for you <laughs> yeah it's more for me yeah <laughs> well number one where we go there's no cell phone service so if we use satellite but i don't like the dogs you know uh learning the same tracks also, sometimes the tracks can sit there for three, three or four days, the scent. That means when you've got a huge pack off leash, they're all sitting there sniffing, sniffing, sniffing. When we walk, we walk. We, we, we're not hesitant. We, you know, I don't want an uh, iPhone dog on my hikes. Uh, you know, uh, like, like people, they're always looking down on their cell phones all day, never looking up. Mm -hmm. So we sometimes see a lot this, where people are walking with their harnesses on. I saw this last night. When I was going to, on the way back from um, my appointment, somebody was walking the road looking down on his cell phone and the dog was everywhere. You know, when we walk, um, so we call it iPhone dog, where people have just allowed the dog to send, do this and that. And then as soon as they take them off the leash, the dog never follows them because the dog's so used to um, looking down, sniffing, and the owner's calling, calling, calling. So why we change change our routes all the time is that the dog's actually learning new experiences. And I can, when they find a new scent, I can say, leave it, let's go. Mm. Leave it, let's go. But when they're on the same, the same um, trail, the same neighborhood, that, it's, uh, it's, it becomes boring for them. They don't learn anything. You know, the biggest fault people have with dogs is they take them on the same route every single day, especially puppies. Uh, it's from studies that you should introduce your puppy to at least 50 to 60 new locations in the in the first 100 days of its life. Really? Yeah. It's uh, from studies. Because then they, that, you know, I, I, I love to travel. But my dad taught me to travel as a young kid. And, you know, some people, so the more you, because everybody says, well, they get a puppy or we have to take him to the dog park. We have to take, socialize him. You, you, 
you socialize every day, you're walking past people. You know, there's this forcing the dog to be in another dog's space or face or, or people that have to touch your dog. I mean, you know, one of my friends, he's got 11 month uh, dog trainers, very, very good dog trainer. He's got 11 month old lab and he's training it. And the dog hasn't had one accident in 11 weeks at all. He's there in the crate, he walks around, he's there to take it out, he's there to put it brakes. He doesn't use alarm clocks and all this. But when he goes in public, so many people wanna to touch his dog. Mm -hmm. You know, but you know, you want to walk up to somebody's wife or child or even you and try to touch them. Mm -hmm. So, you know, look and, you know, what it does is when you're touching somebody else's dog, it's teaching the dog to want to go up to other strangers and people. And I, I mean, I tell people, sorry, my dog is, when George, my beagle, he will surrender to me. When he's in public, he's not interested in people. He loves people. He's walking around playing with his toy, even in class because um, he's never been taught that every single person has, he has to stop to meet. Right. And um, so when you're taking your dog to these pet shops or these winners or Michaels, walk them around, but don't stop for people because what you're doing is you're teaching your dog it has to stop every time it sees a stranger. That's a great point. Um, I want to go back to this, uh, the harness part though, because you've been a big believer, I think, in, in a collar because I, I think it communicates more to the dog of, of where you want it to be and, and where where it's comfortable and that kind of thing. And harnesses, I think, are tougher to communicate where the dog's supposed to be. Is that correct? Yeah. Once again, it's, you know, there's so many internet, Google, Dr. Google opinions out there from everybody. When you've worked with and handled and observed 20,000, 30,000 dogs um, and you've seen some of the best trainers in the world, Harnesses, I love them for tracking because they used to pull. Mm -hmm. You know, sled dogs, they used to pull. We use a leash called a transition leash, which we put over the, the schnauz. It's not a muzzle, it's not this. We have doctors, vets, psychologists, psychiatrists, Supreme Court judges. They all use the transition leash because it takes pressure off the tracia, the esophagus, and the thyroid gland. But it also works the brain. When you have a, a harness on the body, you work in the dog's body. And then people have to sit there with their cookies all the time. So, I mean, you can look at all my pictures, videos of all these dogs. They've got tails up using transition leashes where we wean them off. But, you know, a lot of people, I know you you love martial arts and karate because, mm -hmm. you know I, know, I know your background. Not everybody's born to be a martial artist. Not everybody has reflexes. You know, the procession there because you do sports dogs training or this and that because you do it. You have the skills. Maybe the neighbor who's 60, 70 years old or the, the young kid doesn't have the skills. And as you know, like I said earlier, I love helicopters, but damn, put me in a helicopter and we're all going down. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, so you find the tool that helps the client not look like a fool, but also you help the tool that's going to help give a better relationship with the dog. Mm-hmm. And that's the most important. I only look at that. I don't get involved in this whole whatever, this is right, that. You know, if, if we were doing things wrong and the transition leashes are working for so many people, and like I said, we have medical practitioners mm -hmm. and it's working for them, that's what I'm interested. You know, it's the same thing with raw food or harnesses or anything. If it works for somebody, use it. We, we have many tools in our toolkit. 
But my goal at the end of the day is to help the owner succeed with their dog. I cannot help an owner that basically has the answers for everything, but then they don't need my help. <laughs> but, you, you know, so harnesses are great. They, they're great for tracking. They, they're great. They do work for certain dogs that do have ailments. But the majority of people I see walking with harnesses, they pull in, they lunge in, and they're putting pressure on the front of the chest of the dog. Mm. And I've seen this a lot, certain collars too, where, you know, the dog's always got his neck at an angle because he's using something like a uh, gentle leader where the, the axle, it's rubbing in the eyes at the axle of the neck. Imagine what's going on to the dog's left um, shoulder, right shoulder, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, if, it, if a harness works for somebody and they're content and happy, great. But if you own a harness and I'm walking my dog by and your dog's literally like a bat on a leash mm-hmm. and you're trying to say my dog wants to say hi, no, your dog's not trained, <laughs> you know, or you have your dog off leash and my dog's on leash and he's walking nicely and you have to scream to me and say, my dog's friendly, he just wants to say hi. No, your dog can be friendly, but he's just not trained. Mm-hmm. So don't take him off leash. So um, so harnesses, you know, they, and I do, I do use them. So, but uh, I use them for the right owner. The person has the skills that can manage the harness, <laughs> you know? No, and, and, and I get that and I think it's, you know, you bring up a great point. There's lots of great tools out there, and, and it's just defining what what the right tool is. But yeah, I, I you know, I, I have a small pet peeve about the 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 leashes that you know are like a big rubber band, and they they expand very quickly because if the dog wants to go sniff something, it just flies off. It's like yeah. a a fishing rod. Are you, like you doing the flex line leash? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Been around since 1979. You know, they, they, some like the RCMP, certain gain, certain trainers are brilliant using the flex line leash. They know when to release, when not. But once again, it's like um, the average handler is not experienced. I mean, they turn those things into uh, slingshots for the dog. <laughs> and, you know, I've seen, you know, the thing is, I c- we can laugh now because I've seen every case. When mm-hmm. I started, I thought these, are, and don't get me wrong, when I started, I had all the toys, all that. I jumped into the North American baby, the dog, buy a hundred toys. You know, one of my clients the other night, she's a very well-known, powerful, powerful lady in the in the in the legal world, and very powerful. You know, and she's like a she's like a pit bull, the real pit bull, and not brilliant, brilliant lawyer. And like, I mean, cases. She's she's argued major cases all over North America, and she's in my class. And she said to me. Um, and it's on video. I don't. We make videos of everything for the right reasons. And she said, "My dog will never bring the toy back." And I go, "Why?" And she goes, "He doesn't like toys. He'll pick them up and then run off." And then I go, "How many toys do you have around the house?" So I think she said she has a lot. I'm going to say she had sixty. <laughs> so the dog's like sixty. And I said, "Well, how many pairs of shoes do you have lying around the house?" I said, "Do you have sixty? Do you get to?" play with them and wear them every day, you lost track and you want a new pair. So I brought out a toy, I put the dog on leash, threw the toy and he brought it back. And then I took the toy away and I said, that's it, I won. I said, for the next two weeks, I want you to put all the toys away in the house and you have one toy mm-hmm. and you bring it out to play with the dog. Don't let the dog play with it on its own because you'll get bored. And um, obviously, her message at night was it worked. 
but she's not giving up her 60 shoes, she said. But uh, <laughs> she did. She wrote that. And um, the thing where I'm trying to go is that harnesses, toys, all that, if they're used correctly. And, and when, when George or my staff finish it, they play with the dogs, they put the toy in the cupboard. The only toy you'll ever find lying around my home is a, a, a food cube mm. where he can play and he can roll food out right. called a buster cube, which I've used over 20 years. I mean, you know, that's the thing. It's, um, but at the end of the days, you know, what works for me doesn't always work for everybody. So I try to find solutions. But also sometimes we know, and, you know, I say that when clients are winning and they are working with their dogs and they get results and they stop, um, things fall apart and you can't stop. I know that uh, for fitness or uh, karate or learning a language, you only get when you stop, you forget things mm-hmm. and you got to restart and, and there's no one else to blame but yourself. So when you when I when we work with dog training behavior and you take the English way, not the American way of training behavior and that word, you are the behavior, the last two letters. You know, my dog's got bad behavior or he's awful, but you are the owner, you ownership. <laughs> You're the owner, legal owner, ownership of that dog. The word ship again, mm-hmm. not your dog. He doesn't know. <laughs> he probably <laughs> thinks you're inconsistent and you've got behavior issues. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, Wayne, we could talk uh, forever. I, I want to appreciate, uh, just say thank you for uh, for sharing your knowledge today and we'll get you back on the show. Thanks thank you. so much. Thank you. Thank you.